sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. A huge Wednesday night in college basketball as we start off our number two of a Thursday live right here on the morning after. Thank you for joining us on TMA all across the Sports Grid Network and Sirius XM Channel 159. That is the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM and I am Ben Stevens. A huge Thursday now recapping a ginormous Wednesday night slate in college basketball it doesn't get much better in the two days following college football season and that coming to a close than looking at the slate we had on a wednesday chalk filled of top 25 talent in fact even top 25 matchups two top 25 teams facing off against one another that will be a big component of our focus as we enter the zone Bud Walton Arena in Fayetteville, Arkansas, is a very difficult place to play basketball. It is why Arkansas holds such a home court advantage throughout SEC play. That is until Alabama walked in there last night. A top 15 tilt, the tie, the number four team in the country, the Razorbacks, the number 15 team in the country, and Arkansas booked as a short one and a half point home underdog. Really didn't have much chance of covering that number. As Bama picks up a 15-point victory in this top 15 tilt, 84-69. The total of 153.5 stays just barely under Alabama. A perfect 3-0, now 4-0 in SEC play. Alabama booked as a favorite in all four of their SEC games so far, and they are a perfect 4-0 against the spread. Arkansas just 1-3 now in SEC play. Depending on where you got that line, it was virtually a pick It saw the Hogs as a one-and-a-half point favorite for most of the day. Alabama even working to a one-and-a-half point favorite right before tip. So depending on where you got the Hogs, they did not cover. It didn't really matter. They are also 0-4 against the number now in their four SEC games. So Alabama, 4-0 in SEC play. Arkansas, just 1-3 straight up. Now, we were in the zone also yesterday on the show. We didn't have a ton of time to look back on the Tuesday night slate in some of the other areas in SEC play, including with John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats, because things are getting dicey right now in Lexington. As we look at the Cats and their outlook for the rest of this year, Kentucky has already lost six basketball games. Ten and six, six, six excuse me, injured for UK right now. They are just one in three in the SEC. They have lost two straight games, three of their last five games, and they're not covered in 10 straight. Because on Tuesday night, it was South Carolina going into Rupp Arena in Lexington and knocking off Kentucky 71-68. The first win for the Gamecocks in Rupp since 2000. In nine. And when you look at their odds right now to win the SEC, incredibly long. Their odds to win a national championship and turn this thing around come March, also pretty long, 75 to 1. Of course, Texas fired Chris Beard late last week. Texas has the money, the resources, and the facilities to go after some of the biggest names in all of college basketball. John Calipari has been rumored as a potential target for 
Texas. Speaking of Texas, a huge top 20 tilt last night in Austin for number 10 Texas against number 17 TCU. An incredibly gritty game that Texas comes back from down 13 at the break for a four-point victory, 79-75, putting up 50 points in that second half. We'll continue to look at that game and all the trends from it in just a moment. But first, we welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here, hour number two of the morning after, live on this Thursday. Sirius XM, Channel 159. All of our terrestrial radio affiliates now in the mix as well. I am Ben Stevens. You are in the zone. Thank you for joining us here on this Thursday, recapping a huge Wednesday night in college basketball. So Texas down 13 at the break against TCU the Horned Frogs looked incredibly good in that opening half the defensive pressure that Jamie Dixon's team plays with is nothing nothing to trifle with and it saw the Longhorns down by 13 at the break but they outscored TCU by 17 in the second half scoring 50 points Texas now 2-0 in their two games since firing Chris Beard when you look at what they have for Texas right now, it is a pretty good spot to be in the Big 12. The second best odds to win the conference outright in what many expect to be the most competitive conference all year long, mainly because of their depth. It doesn't seem like a lot of people catching Kansas at the moment. The Jayhawks, a minus 170 favorite. So tons of top 25 action last night. Top 25 tilts, ranked versus ranked. And that was the case in Milwaukee for number 25 Marquette. And number six, UConn. Now, UConn snapped a two-game skid against Creighton at home over the weekend, but it hasn't been the best start to Big East play for one of the last remaining unbeaten teams this year in college basketball. Marquette, however, boy, Shaka Smart, has the Golden Eagles playing some hoops this year in the Big East. 82-76, the victory for Marquette, booked as a a two-and-a-half-point home underdog. They have now won five straight games. This year, they're a perfect 4-0 against the spread as an underdog, victorious outright in three of their four covers as an underdog. Now we go to the CAA. A shout-out to our associate producer, Andrew Bacigalupo, who has been in love with UNC Wilmington all year long. They're the two best teams in the Colonial. That includes number 22 in the country, College of Charleston. They hold on, and I mean hold on, for a win last night in a huge game in CAA action as Charleston survives, improving to 17-1 this year with a 71-69 victory. Yet UNC Dub covers as a two-and-a-half-point underdog. 12-4 now against the spread for UNC Wilmington. A preview of the Australian Open up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We'll get to our preview of the 2023 Australian Open to open up the Grand Slam calendar in tennis in just a little bit as the Aussie Open starts this weekend down under Monday for them late in the Sunday night hours for us here in the States. Welcome back to the morning after live right here on this Thursday on Sports Grid and Sirius XM Channel 1. 59. That is the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM, all across the Sports Grid network as well. I am Ben Stevens in many parts of the country, also known as Big Ten Ben, in some breaking news out of the Big Ten Conference this morning that also affects the National Football League. Kevin Warren, 
the current Big Ten commissioner, has been hired by the Chicago Bears. It was a move rumored just a couple of weeks ago. Now, as NFL Network's Ian Rappaport is reporting on this Thursday morning, sources telling him the Bears are expected to name Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren as their new president and CEO, a major hire for the organization, and for Warren, who spent time in the NFL prior to college football as a top executive for the Minnesota Vikings. So let's start there. Kevin Warren certainly has the pedigree. Now we go to the Big Ten nature of what Kevin Warren has done as the commissioner of this illustrious and glorious and potentially most historic conference in all of collegiate athletics. Kevin Warren, and maybe rightfully so at some times because of the lack of transparency, took a lot of flack for how the Big Ten football season was handled in the COVID year of 2020. Kevin Warren canceled the season for the Big Ten conference. It wasn't just all him. He was the scapegoat, though, as the figurehead of that league. It was the chancellors and presidents who voted against a Big Ten football season. And then it was taken away only to return late in October. So a lot of people had a sour taste in their mouth of Kevin Warren, who had only been the commissioner of the league for about just over a year at that point. But since then, has brought USC and UCLA into the league, exploring and expanding their footprint into the second biggest media market, that being Los Angeles. And because of all of that, has secured the largest ever TV rights deal, the largest ever media deal in the history of college athletics. That is what awaits the Big Ten starting this July into 2023, as the Big Ten now has a huge new deal that will play, pay the conference a ton of money over these next seven years and still gives them room to negotiate. So one of the best deals in the history of college sports is what Kevin Warren was able to do and negotiate for the Big Ten before he moves on to the National Football League once again as the new reported president of the Chicago Bears. All right, that's enough for the breaking news out of the Big Ten Conference and for Chicago this morning. Now we go down under in the 2023 Australian Open, help, helping us preview the first of the Grand Slam titles this year in tennis. It is our good friend Pam Maldonado of the Yahoo Sportsbook back live right here on the morning after. Pam, thank you so much for joining us. I can't believe we're already previewing a new Grand Slam year in tennis, but very glad to have you on the show to do just that. Thank you for having me. As much as I love football, I love tennis. So I'm so excited that it's back. Uh, the major came really quick, and here we are. Yeah. I'm ready to get going. It is a great time, certainly. And Pam, you are one of the best handicappers when it comes to tennis as well. So as we look at the Australian Open, that will start this weekend. For us, it's late Sunday night. For the Aussies down under, it is early on a Monday morning. As we look at the draw and the odds to win the men's title outright, of course, Novak Djokovic is the favorite right now. An odds-on favorite, in fact, to win the 2023 Australian Open. Pam, as you look at where Djokovic is, compared to the rest of the field, is pretty much that. Novak versus the field for the 2023 Aussie Open title. Do you agree with what the prices say entering the tournament? A hundred percent. This is Novak Djokovic tournament to lose. He has a pretty favorable draw considering the rest of the field. Um, it's going to be an entertaining Australian Open, that's for sure. But Djokovic, he could be tested here against Pablo Carina Busta. That's going to be more of a warm-up match, I foresee. He'll get through that just fine. But what's interesting for me for Novak Djokovic is his potential matchup against Holger Runa, who he actually lost to. Novak has been on a run here to close out the 2022 season. And he had one loss under his belt, 
and that was to a new and up, up and coming player in Holger Runa, one of the younger players on tour, lost in Paris. He's somebody that he actually practices with, practices with often. Um, but this is about a best of five tournament. I say it over and over again. Winning in the best of three against the players that are so great, like Nadal, like Federer, like Djokovic, that's cool. Let's see how you handle a best of five situation where it becomes so much more mental than anything else. And if you give me a mental matchup, I take Djokovic each and every time. And one name you won't see there, world number one, the 2022 U.S. Open winner, Carlos Alcaraz, the young superstar in tennis, mm -hmm. out of the Australian Open with a leg injury. Novak Djokovic, of course, part of the drama that led up to the 2022 Aussie Open. He was deported before the event even began because of his vaccination status, mm -hmm. but prior to last year had won three straight Aussie Open titles, looking to make it a mm -hmm. record-setting, or extending rather, 10 yeah. Aussie Open championships. But he is the four seed. Rafael Nadal is the number one seed, yet their odds don't reflect their seeding in the draw for the Australian Open, Pam. Rafael Nadal, 18 to 1. What is Rafa's outlook for the Australian Open? I'm not interested at all at backing at all, um, maybe in a couple of matchups, but from an outlook of a um, outright perspective, not interested because one of the matchups that he could be facing is Francis Tiafo, the American player who we saw last year have a fantastic match. But I'm going to give the edge to Tiafo in that potential quarterfinal because Tiafo is the better hardcourt player. Tiafo has the return ability. He can take the ball on the rise early. He has a very powerful swing. And so I really do think that Nadal early on can be knocked off and it would be to the hands of Tiafo. So I'd be looking to that matchup here as a possible underdog upset. I'm going to be backing Nadal as an outright. Um, I'm going to stick with Djokovic to win in the futures. I know that it is now heavily juiced at minus 120. I would still take that. This is his tournament to lose. Pam, I believe you were here after the U.S. Open or maybe even as that tournament was playing out. And you said, hey, listen, if you're looking for value, it's plus money on Novak to win the Aussie Open. And at minus 125, mm -hmm. you could make the argument relative to the field, it is still value. I'm glad you bring up Francis Tiafo and some of the American men that will make the trip down under. Of course, Tiafo gave yes. us all a thrill, making it to the semis of the 2022 U.S. Open mm -hmm. up in Flushing in Queens. Out of the American men, who do you think is best positioned to make a run at the 2023 Australian Open? Oh man, there's a couple players. So I do think that Tiafo, I've already mentioned that he has a potential here to not only knock off Nadal in the fourth round, but it could be a very potential competitive matchup against uh Daniil Medvedev in the quarterfinals. Um, but if it's not Tiafo, then I think that Taylor Fritz, he's at the bottom half of the draw. He has a really good potential here to make a deep run at least into the semifinals. And that quarter of the draw, the fourth quarter, is really wide open. You have players like Berrettini, Jensen Brooksby, Casper Ruud. Um, it's going to be in anybody's matchup in that situation. But I think more solidified, it would be Tiafo. As a longer shot, it could be Taylor Fritz. As we look at the women's side, a short favorite as she has been, Iga Sviantek, as we have seen in a lot of the Grand Slam events here as of late, Pam, in the world of tennis. Not quite minus money like Novak Djokovic, but a plus 220 number for Sviantek ahead of the Australian Open beginning this weekend. Along with Iga Sviantek, any other players that you would put on that top tier as true title contenders on the women's side at the Aussie Open? 
I would actually not be looking to Swiatek because she has a very difficult draw, um, possibly dealing with a shoulder injury as well. But if you look at her quarterfinal opponents that she could be facing, it's players like Coco Goff, Shang, Badosa, Ostapenko. It's a very difficult draw. So I would be looking further down the board. And one of the players that does stand out to me is Ange Jabor. She's at the bottom half of the draw. She has a winning record against Pagula. She has a full court game. She's not facing Swiatek. She has that nice net. She has that slice game. She has the net game. She has everything that Ash Barty in, in, uh, had when she was back in, she is a very, she's a big threat to this and a favorable draw. Potentially could be facing Zabalinka, which could be a 50-50 matchup, but I like the odds for Anjabor. Um, favorable matchup. If there was any other player, I'd possibly be looking at Belinda Benchik at 40-1. to 2022 was a really good season for her. She's in the semifinal now of Adelaide 2, so she's coming into the Australian Open with some really great form. Pam, that's how you preview a Grand Slam in a short amount of time. Thank you, as always, for your time here on The Morning After. More of TMA up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. A huge night in Brooklyn in the NBA. Barclays center the site for a potential Eastern Conference Finals preview between the Nets and the Celtics. So if we're breaking down Boston, we only bring on the best on this show. Live right here on a Thursday on the morning after. It is the return of our good friend, Nesson's George Belection. Joins us live right here on TMA to talk all things Boston Celtics and maybe even a small conversation about the NHL's best team right now, the Boston Bruins. Georgie, as always, we thank you for your time here on a Thursday on TMA, ahead of a huge matchup tonight inside the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Ben, you say you're bringing on the best. I appreciate that. It's always a joy to join the best in the game, brother. Missed you. Happy to be back with you. Excited what we're about to talk about. Very happy to have you here. I was in Georgia's hometown over the holidays. Unfortunately, a very busy working man covering the Patriots at Foxborough. We didn't get to run into each other in person, but we are back live right here on the morning after. So, Georgie, it's a huge game tonight inside Barclays, but it's the second leg of a back-to-back now for Boston. At home last night inside TD Garden, an 11-point victory against the New Orleans Pelicans. No Zion, no B.I. for New Orleans, but still the third-best record in the West. The Celtics booked as a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. They cover with that 125-114 victory. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown combined for 72 point so George as you look at everything last night entering Brooklyn tonight what was your main takeaway from the Celtics victory yesterday over the Pels I would like to add that although the Pelicans were were without B.I. and Zion Williamson the Celtics were without Rob Williams and Marcus Smart Rob Williams just out and probably in the first leg of a back-to-back save him to defend the Nets who they were expecting to have Kevin Durant but Joe Missoula sticking with his script no matter what I walk away with that game. We see the cohesion between the best backcourt and all pro backcourt, and all NBA backcourt continue to grow. And that's Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. 70 po- 72 points, 22 rebounds, just two turnovers with 41 and 12 coming from Jalen Brown. So what we're seeing is when it's Jalen's night, 
Tatum's not taking a backseat. He's still put up over 30 points, but he's letting him cook. He's letting him do his thing. He's giving him the ball, letting the offense play through him. When it's Jason's Tatum night, we see the reverse from Jalen Brown. What we saw hinder Jason Tatum in the NBA Finals was his legs giving out from him, but Jalen Brown is still playing a high level of basketball. If they can figure out how to pace themselves, how to make the offense come together, and when at full strength, because they're still not there yet, and Rob Williams is still not at 100% on both ends of the floor, this is the best team in the NBA. They're really good at defense. They're really good at offense. They're spreading the ball around. Their assist to uh, field goals ratio is through the roof as well. They're playing well. They're still learning how to play. Joe Mazzula is still learning on the fly as well. So no matter who you throw their way, the Celtics will find a way to win. And what I take away from Jalen Brown, yes, 41-12. and 12. Yes, another great game. I said it preseason. I'm saying it now. He will be an all-NBA player come season's end. It was smart shots. Six for seven around the rim. Six from eight for mid-range. Started out the game 10 for 14 from the floor. So we're seeing them flourish, get smarter, grow with their game. The Celtics are only getting better. And again, I keep saying it, they're not at full strength yet. George, as you mentioned right there, the Jays elevating their game. Both a double-double last night. Tatum 31-10. and 10, Jalen Brown 41-12. and 12. We saw them start to ascend last year on the Celtics' run to an NBA Finals appearance. And George, you were along for the ride, highlighting how well both were playing. As you look at what they have done this year for Boston, how have you seen these two elevate their games even more? Smart basketball, selflessness, continuing to play in the system. Jason Tatum bought in on the defensive end of the floor from day one of this season when it took him about midway through the season to do that last season. Need to see more from Jalen Brown in that area as we feel like his offensive game is elevated. His effort on the other end of the floor has fallen off a little, but they still have time to continue to lock in and grow in that facet. But it's just smarter basketball from them, and the confidence is so much more there. Jason Tatum is asked about, and will embrace the questions about being a league MVP, a top three player, a top five player in the association. And instead of being shying away from that, you know, pushing it off, deflecting, he says that that's a goal of his. That's been a dream of him growing up. And if Jason Tatum realizing that the expectations and also him reaching an MVP caliber play and winning that award is within his grasp, and that makes him play harder, play better, play all around smarter basketball then so be it it does not hurt the team for players to have selfish goals let's face it they all have those goals whether it's because they want to personally achieve it or because in their contract they'll get a really nice bonus if they get there it makes the team better it gets them more wins it has them playing a higher level of basketball so from both of them it's just seen a buy-in from day one and you still see the hurt of the nba finals a game six loss to the warriors still lingering now And it's as if they have a list. When they first played the Warriors, it got too emotional. They avenged it back at home. They're going to have these teams coming up. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, yes, they swept them, but there was no Kyrie in that game at all in the series last year. This is an everyday Kyrie. Yes, there's no KD coming up, but they have these guys in front of them, and they know, especially Jason Tatum, if you take down – a Nets team where Kyrie Irving's one of the best pull-up jumpers in the NBA this season, even without KD. That adds to your MVP resume. If you take on a 76ers team, we'll see if Joel Embiid's there. That adds to your resume. If you take down the Bucks, yes, without Drew or Chris Middleton, that adds to what you have as a case for league MVP. So it's reachable, it's tangible, it's right in front of them. And they have the ability. It's not that they're overachieving. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do at this point in their careers.
No Kevin Durant tonight inside the Barclays Center, but tonight's game doesn't lose its luster. A huge atmosphere expected between the Celtics and the Nets tonight in Brooklyn. Currently, Boston enters on a four-game win streak. They're a three-point favorite on the road tonight inside the Barclays Center. The Nets have been the hottest team in the NBA. Their 12-game win streak snapped late last week, but they have still won 14 of their last 15 and 18 of their last 20, albeit their first game without KD comes up tonight. George, this is the second leg of a back-to-back for Boston. Do you expect that to hinder the Celtics at all tonight on the road in Brooklyn? I believe we are having some technical difficulties with our guy, George Belecci. We hope to get him back onto the show here in just a moment. As I said, the Celtics with the 11-point victory over the Pelicans last night, covering as a 9.5-point favorite, enter this on a four-game win streak. They have covered in two of those four consecutive wins. The Brooklyn Nets, despite having their 12-game win streak snapped late last week, have won 14 of their last 15. It is interesting, as we heard from Kevin Walsh earlier in our opening hour, to still see the Nets as only a three-point dog tonight. Because Kevin Durant is not there. Yes, Kyrie Irving is playing at an astronomical level at the moment and is having a ton of help from his supporting staff. But Boston is the best team in the NBA. The only team so far that has posted 30 wins so far this year. Brooklyn right behind with 27. A 27 and 13 record for the Nets. 30 and 12 for the Celtics. It's only a three-point spread. We'll see what that means for the Celtics tonight. Kev mentioned to you in that opening hour the idea of the second leg of a back-to-back. Might not be all that concerning for Boston. Five and one against the spread in the six previous instances of that scenario this year. Four, one and one to the over. Tonight's total, a flat number of 228 for that over under. I believe George Blechi gets back to join us here in just a moment. Of course, George from Nesson previewing this game in Brooklyn tonight between the Nets and the Celtics. So Georgie, you are back. Technical difficulties be darned. We are glad to have you here once again on the morning after. I was looking for the breakdown from you with the Celtics on the second leg of a back-to-back. Do you think that hinders Boston at all entering this huge atmosphere tonight in Brooklyn? No, they've been no strangers to back-to-backs. They have the roster to make it happen. If Robert Williams didn't play last night against the Pelicans, I expect him to play tonight against the Nets. And at the same time, they've had this vetted out where Al Horford won't play the second half of a back-to-back. That means more minutes for Blake Griffin, which sounds insane in today. But when he's not playing a full-length schedule and he has fresh legs whenever his number is called upon, it bodes well for the Celtics so far this season. And you can't say enough about no Durant for the Nets, how it does affect the second half of a back-to-back. Because that is another guy that's been an MVP. And the Brooklyn Nets offensively have been a two-man show of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving which really the main thing is being Kevin Durant. The offense isn't driving to the rim. It's not shooting threes. It's pull-up jumpers at mid-range. Kevin Durant does that at an elite level, and we know that. But when they lose him with that sprained MCL, we'll see for how long. That takes away their main offensive catalyst. It makes it really easy on a team that's really good at defense, the Boston Celtics. And I'm just going to say this too. What Kevin Durant has done this season is put together an all-defensive team effort on that end of the floor. Him and Nick Claxton are the main rim protectors for the Brooklyn Nets. 
Kevin Durant's not going to be playing. That wingspan will be missed, and the rim attackers like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the guards around him and a big cutting to the basket like Robert Williams, that spells bad news for the Brooklyn Nets. So second half of a back-to-back, the Celtics have done it. They're young. They're talented. They're deep. They have the leaders up front, and the Nets will be not just shorthanded, very shorthanded being without Kevin Durant. KD averaging nearly 30 points per game this year. All right, George, only about a minute left in this segment. Now we talk big picture. The Celtics remain the favorites to win the Eastern Conference, plus 180, the favorites to win an NBA championship this year. Is that the ceiling for Boston? Is it NBA championship or bust this year for the Celtics? Yes, no doubt about it. They've spoken it into existence. They speak about it all the time. They're focused. They're locked in. And at plus 180, I was looking at that earlier to win the East. I would take it right now because I think that price or the payout that you'd get in reverse only gets lower. You'd have to put up more money to get a payout like that at plus 180 or more, depending how much money you want to lay. So the Celtics ceiling, it has been. Their expectations, it has been. NBA finals are bust. They have the superstars and the MVP to make it happen, Ben. Value is all relative. It's still a plus money number on Boston. George Belecci from Nesson, we appreciate your time. As always, we'll get to the Bruins another time. More of the morning after up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Time to get you ready once again and set the stage for the NFL playoffs that begin in just two days, a doubleheader on Saturday, a tripleheader on Sunday, and one final game on a Monday night for all six postseason matchups that we have during the opening round of the postseason. Super wild card weekend in the National Football League. Thank you for joining us here on this Thursday on the morning after. We now welcome onto the show, it is Harrison Sanford. For the weekend slate and all the previews that you need to know from every number that is of importance for the opening round of the playoffs. Harrison, we go in chronological order through each of the two conferences starting in the NFC, working our way to the AFC. It is great to have you here for this comprehensive preview. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great time in football, but also just a sad time in football. It is, my friend, coming to an end slowly but surely. And uh, yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. I got, mixed, I got a mixed bag of emotions. I mean, we have a full I'm excited, slate, right? but, have, you know. Yeah, for sure. We, we have six games, which is great, but Harrison's right. The divisional round is maybe the best weekend of the National Football League postseason, but there's not as many games there's not all that much that we have left in store at least we have this right here right now and that is our focus we start in the nfc the first game up on saturday harrison of the two that we have on saturday in santa clara the san francisco 49ers hosting the seattle seahawks a divisional rivalry now in the playoffs a nine and a half point spread in favor of the 49ers harrison given the familiarity of these two teams although san francisco did sweep the regular season series, covering as a favorite in each of those two matchups. Do you expect this game to be more competitive now in the playoffs than the nine and a half point spread would indicate? Oh, yes, indeed. And I'm, I was almost surprised that it is up to nine and a half and 10 in some places, uh, because I do think that the Seahawks have a great chance of covering uh, that number. Uh, you look back at their last game, that Thursday night football game, it was a rainy mm. 
uh, rainy night, and Kenneth Walker was just returning from injury. He finished that game 12, yard, 12 carries, 47 yards. I think he could be as successful, if not more successful, in the next matchup, and they only lost that game by eight. I think they have a chance here, uh, and obviously, if you are going to attack the San Francisco 49ers, it's going to be in the secondary. Just got to get enough time for Geno Smith to get the ball away. And that is obviously the main concern when it comes to this game. I think he has a chance. I'd like to think Pete Carroll the third time around uh, will we'll have the guys in order. And then there's Brock Purdy, who's going to be playing his first playoff game. And obviously they'll try to do their best to make sure there's not a lot of pressure on him. The 49ers will at least. But, yeah. I mean, again, it's Brock Purdy first time in a playoff game. We can't be surprised if he does have a misstep here or there. And if one of those missteps end up being a field-changing turnover, then, you know, this game definitely has a chance here of uh, being covering the spread for the Seattle Seahawks. So I think with a, with a more healthy Kenneth Walker, remember that was his first game back from injury on that Thursday night football game. I think they have a chance to potentially implement more play action. And if they can implement more play action, then I think you keep Geno Smith safe enough to start finding his targets. And I think the Seattle Seahawks will cover the spread, but judging by the history, I, I could understand why people would go the other way. Harrison, all six of the matchups that we have during Super Wild Card Weekend, we have seen at least once throughout the regular season, twice for the three divisional matchups, including San Francisco and Seattle, that we have this opening round of the playoffs. Most recently, on Christmas Eve, we saw Minnesota host the New York Giants, the Vikings winning by three, a 61-yard game-winning field goal off the right leg of Greg Joseph as time expired, gave the Vikings a victory. Both Minnesota and New York, Harrison, as you well know, have played close, competitive, one-score games, it feels like, all year long. And when it comes to NFL handicapping, everybody will tell you two key numbers that mean more than anything else. The number of three, that number of a field goal, the number of seven, the flat number of a touchdown. For this game between Minnesota and New York, it is that flat number of three, a key number. Harrison, knowing what Minnesota and New York have done all year long, how key exactly is that number of three? Well, you brought up the point that Minnesota and the Giants have played in one-score games almost all year long, it feels like. The Minnesota Vikings, 11 wins once with one score. That sets the record. Last year, they had six losses by one score, which actually tied them for an NFL record. Uh, so they're familiar with this territory. Um, I think the Minnesota Vikings win this game. I would say this, and again, I'm, I'll be doing in-game live Saturday and Sunday. As I, and this is Vikings are a team that I've bet against almost all year long. What I what I think and what I what I think happens from a betting perspective, or hope happens rather yet. I hope the Vikings get up, and I hope we see the Giants plus six and a half, or Giants even maybe plus seven. And I think you can get the live cover that way. I think that's probably the best approach for this game. And part of the reason why you know I'm always been a, why the part of the reason why I always target the Minnesota Vikings from a live betting standpoint is because of how poor their secondary is. So because they have Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson, they have the ability to get up in games. But as the game continues to wane on, uh, they'll concede yardage in the air and they'll let the dink and dunks or they'll let the pass attempts kind of slide through because they're just not a great secondary. So I've seen multiple times this year, I've been prof uh, it's been profitable for me to bet against the Vikings live because that offense will push up the number because they're just that explosive. 
but that secondary will give it right back. Uh, and we do know the Giants obviously want to run the ball first, so it might take them a while to take to truly attack the Vikings' weakness. That's what I hope happens. Now, we can go yeah. off Skelter, and, and, and my whole live bet plan is thrown out the window, but that is what I'm hoping for. Yeah, the Vikings are a team that have exclusively won pretty much by single scores this year. They are favored to at least win 11 of their 13 wins by a single score. The only two that were different, the opening weekend against Green Bay and the regular season finale in Chicago against the Bears. Harrison, my favorite game of the weekend is in fact on Monday night in Tampa Bay between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys. The reason I love it so much is because it's an interesting approach to this football game. Obviously, when you look at 2022 specifically, Dallas should be favored, even on the road in Tampa Bay against the Buccaneers team that is below 500. But given history, Tom Brady should be favored. 35 playoff wins against the Cowboys that have only won three playoff games in the last 25 years. So Harrison, what are you using for your handicap between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys? this year in the evaluation in 2022 or might history affect the handicap as well well one i'm looking at uh just the history between dak prescott and the tampa bay buccaneers and how he has been forced to have a lot of passing attempts in those matchups and then i look at the recent history where dak prescott has not been accurate throwing the ball and that's not even including the the the, the tragedy the football tragedy uh, that was Dak Prescott in the Dallas Cowboys offense last week against the Washington Commanders where it, it took mm-hmm. them, what, they had, I think, 10, 10 three and outs in a game that they were actually trying to win. Bad performance, really bad. Uh, so with that being said, because I because of the history of Dak Prescott and having to pass the ball a lot against a traditionally strong Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, I do think Dak is going to give the Buccaneers a chance to maybe pick them off, which wouldn't surprise me because Dak's been throwing interceptions. Or uh, just be have a number of incompletions. And if that happens, I think the Buccaneers do have a chance. We also have to look at the fact that that Dallas Cowboys secondary is not the same uh, ever since they suffered that injury uh, to uh, Anthony Brown there in the in the secondary. I think over the since week 12, they've been their bottom 10 in the NFL in passing yards allowed. And if that's the case and we know what Tom Brady wants to do, I think that is yeah. going to be a big time problem for the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, you might have Trayvon Diggs guarding Mike uh, Mike Evans, but uh, Trayvon Diggs can get got. And even if he plays well, that still leaves Chris Godwin out there. That still leaves any other option out there as well for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they're the home team. So I love taking the Buccaneers with the points. I love taking the Buccaneers outright. I think the Cowboys are set up to fail in this matchup. History certainly tells us that, at least entering this football game on Monday night in Tampa. Here's what it looks like for all seven seeds in the NFC and their outlook from the odds perspective to win the NFC championship. Philadelphia has the weekend off. They are the favorites to win the NFC at plus 160. The Niners only 40 cents behind at 2-1, to one, and Dallas rounds out the top three. Plus 550, the number on the Cowboys. Now we turn our attention to the AFC. The nightcap of the doubleheader, on Saturday in Duval County it is going to be electric the Jaguars and the Chargers right now LA a two and a half point road favorite Harrison as you look at these two teams both making their first playoff appearance in quite some time both quarterbacks making their first playoff appearance in their NFL careers what do you think is the key matchup between Jacksonville and Los Angeles 
Uh, the key matchup, or the key person, rather, yet for me at least, is the guy who wasn't there in their first matchup, Keenan Allen. Totally mm-hmm. changes the whole game plan for the Chargers. Going back to that earlier matchup in week number three, Mike Williams only had one reception, 15 yards. Uh, and part of the reason why that offense wasn't, and, and oh, what was crazy too, uh, Austin Eckler, four, four rushes, five yards. That's not happening again. Uh, and I think a lot of that was because they were thrown out of the game script due to early turnovers. Uh, they had to pass a lot more, more than they, you know, they they really want to. But I think Keenan Allen, again, I've been big on Keenan Allen. He is basically another form of the run game because of this depth of target is not far down the field. It's pretty much a five-yard reception, maybe some yards after. I think his ability for the short passing game, intermediate passing game, opens up a wealth of opportunities for the Chargers. So now you have the deep threat in Mike Williams. You have the intermediate short threat in Keenan Allen. And you have the running game or dump downs with Austin Eckler. They have everything they need to win this game. Um, So we'll see how that – we'll see if they're able to. That first game, week number three, Travis Etienne uh, was outshined by James Robinson, who had over 100 yards rushing. Obviously, James Robinson's no longer there. Uh, so we'll see here uh, how, how the Chargers respond. But I think they have all the tools they need to win this game. I'm rolling with them, and I'm rolling with them big. I think they're they're too talented to lose this game. And then also, too, Jaguars did not have a first down in the fourth quarter of that game against the Titans last week. Um, so I, I do think there's going to be – they're just unfamiliar with that being in that moment. Obviously, Justin Herbert's first playoff game as well. But I, I think he has the talent advantage overall versus these Jacksonville Jaguars. An all-time Lechuga matchup as well between Trevor Lawrence and seeing that long hair flow and Justin Herbert on the other Mm. side for the LA Chargers. So as we go to our next game up in the AFC, the first of the triple header on Sunday, Harrison, the Buffalo Bills now a 13 and a half point favorite against the Miami Dolphins because we anticipate Skylar Thompson to make the playoff start for Miami. So Harrison, the odds clearly tell us Buffalo should win and probably comfortably against Miami. So the question becomes, how do the Bills cover against the Dolphins? Well, I think they cover by putting pressure on Skylar Thompson. I think they they rely on the fact that that offense is not going to be humming at, to the way that, you know, obviously the, the Miami Dolphins would like. You saw Tyreek Hill get hurt uh, during their last game as well. I think, and I while they won't get two kick returns for touchdowns again, I don't think, I do think a full week of preparation, knowing their opponent, uh, is going to help them. Obviously, last week going into that was must have been very difficult with Demar Hamlin. So, I love the Buffalo Bills laying the thirteen and a half. Uh, maybe you get a better number if something happens with the Dolphins early, but I don't think that happens. You got to jump on it now. Look at the full handicap for Harrison Slate coming up for this postseason and Super Wild Card Weekend. We'll update the live odds on in-game live throughout the weekend here on Sports Grid as well. Harrison, as always, thank you so much for your time. We round out the show up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Let's close out this show, our two hours together here on a Thursday morning, on the morning after on SportsGrid, getting you the best of numbers. We hope for some best bets already for Super Wild Card Weekend and the National Football League playoffs beginning in just 
two days. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday on Sirius XM channel 159 and all around the Sports Grid Network. I am Ben Stevens. Now the beautiful thing about entering the postseason where the stage is elevated in the National Football League is unlike regular season weekends despite already knowing the matchups and what is set for quite some time props don't really come out until well after we're done here on a Friday morning late Friday evening early Saturday morning. The props, even for the Sunday games, are out already for the NFL playoffs. So that's where we focus before we say farewell. And before we say goodbye, it's time for an NFL postseason best bet. It is time for Bye Bye Bye. Now, as we approach the second game of the triple header on Sunday, it will be a competitive game as the odds and all of the season has anticipated for the Vikings and the Giants. It's a three-point spread in favor of Minnesota. I don't really want to worry about the number, so I focus on the prompts for Daniel Jones, not his arm, but his legs, to go over his rushing yards prop of 38 and a half. The last time we saw Danny Dimes, 91 yards. Two weekends ago as the Giants clinched their first postseason berth since 2016. Now, when you look at Minnesota, one of the reasons people will highlight they might be a tad fraudulent this year is the statistical numbers do not back up what you see in the win-loss column. Minnesota enters this postseason tied for the third worst scoring defense in the National Football League. The second worst total defense in the NFL, giving up 388 yards. And over the past three weeks, a buck 36 on the ground is what the Vikings have allowed as well. So the best bet is already looking at Daniel Jones and his rushing yards prop over 38 and a half. That does it for a Thursday live right here on the morning after. Your NFL playoff preview on a football Friday tomorrow. I'm Ben Stevens. We'll talk then.